Well, there are a lot of us here, and there's a lot more in the hub with families having family communion since there's no child care. Again, I'm glad we all came together today. This is a, a highlight of the year. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. A commentator by the name of Graham Scroge was right when he said, if you cut the Bible anywhere, it will bleed. What he meant by that is that the focus of the Bible, the subject, the grand theme, is what we celebrate today, the death of Christ, the atonement. Yes, Jesus had a miraculous birth, and yes, Jesus did great, miraculous things and spoke wonderful words, but the focus of his life was his death. And we see hints of that through the Bible, whether it's Abraham in Genesis 22 sacrificing Isaac, or it's Moses in Numbers 21 raising up the brass serpent, or it's David in the Psalms, Psalm 22, giving a description of the crucifixion, or it's Isaiah chapter 53, which details what would happen to the Messiah. A third of all the events recorded about Jesus' life, one-third of everything that is recorded deals with the final week that Jesus spent on the earth. Now think about that. Put it in perspective. Of the 89 chapters in the four Gospels, four of those chapters describe the first 30 years of his life, 85, the last three and a half years. Of those 85 chapters, 29 describe the final week, 13 describe the last day of Jesus' life. The focus of all of the Bible is the atoning work of Christ on the cross. In Revelation 13, Jesus is called the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Think about that. That means that all pre-New Testament history looked forward to it. All post-New Testament history looked back to that fulcrum of the atoning death of Christ. And even in heaven, remember how John described seeing Jesus? Looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah, he turns and he said, And I saw in the midst of the throne and in the midst of the 24 elders a lamb as though it had been slain. In the glories of heaven, in the future, John sees the marks of Jesus upon his body. Somebody once said, the only work of man that we will see in heaven are the marks that we put upon his body at his death. A lamb as though it had been slain. Now when Jesus cries out, 
this horrible cry in Matthew 27 where I read. He said, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me, left me, forsaken me? One of the worst words in human language is to be forsaken or abandoned. I wonder how many know what it's like to be abandoned. Some of you do, honestly. Some of you could tell stories of a husband who left or a wife who left or parents who paid no attention to you or a child who hasn't contacted you in years. You know what it's like to be forsaken. But no one here knows what it's like to be forsaken by God. And it's interesting that it is never recorded that Jesus called his father anything but father except here. When he said, my God, not my father, my God. What's happening? What's happening is some mysterious separation is occurring. A separation of fellowship that the son had with the father as all of the wrath, all of the sin that we ever committed was placed upon Jesus Christ. Jesus never experienced that kind of separation, ever. Well, he'd experienced separation in part up to that point. The incarnation was a separation from the glories of heaven. He experienced separation on a human level when in John chapter 6, the crowd of people decided many of them to follow Jesus no more. Uh, The upper room, Jesus took 12 men to have the Passover. One of them left, Judas, to betray him. So now there's 11. Jesus takes those 11 to the Garden of Gethsemane Three of them are gathered for prayer. The rest flee when he is arrested. Peter and John go to the courtyard to watch Jesus as he is taken before the high priest. One of them betrays, that's Peter, and eventually all, all of them separate from him. So he experienced separation on a human level. But even on a human level... He had the fellowship with his father. And this cry isn't, my God, my God, why has Judas betrayed me? Or my God, my God, why has Peter denied me? But why have you forsaken me? In fact, Jesus predicted that the disciples would separate. He said, the hour is coming when you will be scattered and you will leave me alone. But I am not alone, for my father is with me. But at the cross, in some mysterious, relational, filial way, the Father and the Son separated as the wrath, get this now, the wrath of all sin was placed upon the Son. And this was, I contend, the pinnacle of His suffering. I know that the soldiers beat him and mocked him and put a crown of thorns that pierced his scalp and he was bleeding and he was under great emotional stress. But all of that, even combined, wasn't the pinnacle of his suffering. The pinnacle was here. When as our sin was placed on him, Jesus cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? What is happening is this. God treated Jesus Christ on the cross as if He lived your life. And I mean corporately, all believers who have come to Christ. 
God the Father treated Jesus on the cross as if Jesus lived your life and my life. That's the meaning of substitution or vicarious atonement. The Father treated Jesus as if he were a guilty sinner, all the guilty sinners, so that he could treat you like you were his child. That's the substitution. Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. That's what Isaiah referred to. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And Habakkuk noted that God is too pure to look upon sin. So as all of the sin and wrath of it was placed upon Jesus, it was as if the Father turned away. For that moment, that separation, Jesus felt it and he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? There is no more graphic illustration of what sin can do than that. If you're ever tempted again, should I, should I do this sin? God will forgive me. Just remember that... Our sin caused that separation. By the way, sin always causes separation. It separates families. It separates husbands and wives, children and parents, friends. Sin always separates. But this is where the statement becomes good news, you see. It's good news because Jesus was separated from the Father so that you and I never would have to be separated from the Father. That's the meaning of the good news. For God so loved the world that He gave that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that you can say with the writer of Hebrews, He will never leave you or forsake you. He will always be with you. There is a relationship you can have with the Father where you will never have to say, God, why have you forsaken me? Never going to happen. Never going to happen. There's an old hymn that says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. Jesus, in that moment on the cross, tasted death. Jesus, at that moment on the cross, had an experience that every lost soul will have forever. And he took that, so we never would have to experience that separation. He took darkness that you might have light. He took your wrath that you and I might escape it. That's good news, folks. That's why we celebrate the cross. That's worth celebrating. Paul wrote Colossians and he said concerning the crucifixion, Jesus having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. The New Living Translation puts it this way, He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. In modern terminology, he pushed the delete key. It's all there on the record, on the hard drive. Pushed, erased, it's gone. Your track record, gone, erased. And he took it and he destroyed it by nailing it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. 
Now, in symbolic memory of that, that's where you come in today. This is interactive, and we want to move quickly, but definitely, decisively, meditatively. The handwriting of ordinances was taken, having nailed it to the cross. And to participate in that truth today, this is what we're going to do. The people on the ends of the rows have an envelope with little pieces of paper in them and pencils. And they're going to pass out to you in your row a sheet of paper and a pencil. And we would like you to write on there a sin, a list, Make it quick. Make it a short list. I, we could go on forever doing this. So that, that area, that issue, that thing that's been plaguing you, that habit, you write it down and confess that. And then you fold it so nobody else can see it. We're not going to read it publicly and find out where you are. In fact, the opposite is true. That will be folded, placed in the sealed envelope, and the envelope has written in red across it, paid in full. And then the representative from your row, as we sing, is going to come up and nail it to the cross. And that is you telling the Lord, thank you that all of my sins are put there. And that's where they stay, Lord. And you stand in that forgiveness before we follow that up with giving you the elements of your forgiveness, which is communion. Just... Because of the visual that you have in front of you, don't close your eyes during this communion service. Keep them wide open. The first thing Jesus said on the cross was, Father, forgive them, because that's our greatest need, forgiveness. And he closed with what is written on the envelope, paid in full. One word in Greek, to telestai. It is finished. It is sometimes translated. It could also be translated paid in full. And imagine, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Understand this. You are a joy to Jesus. It was worth it for him to buy you a place in his kingdom. He loves you. Thank you, Father, that our sins, which are many, have been paid in full. And we receive the words, Father, forgive them. Thank you for your atoning blood. We rejoice in its cleansing effect in Jesus' name. Let's take together. Would you pass your cups to the middle and we'll collect them to the center.